we're going into our week of prayer uh, next week, not this Sunday, not today, but next Sunday we're going to start it. But I thought I'd talk about fasting this morning because uh, fasting is, is really something we don't talk about very much. And yet it seemed to be an integral part of biblical characters' lives. They fasted, and it doesn't talk a lot about it, but there's a lot of instances of fasting in the Bible that we have. We're talking more about it in today's culture and in today's society, but not as a biblical, spiritual fast. The kind of fasting that is becoming very popular in today's culture is called intermittent fasting. How many of you heard of that, intermittent, intermittent fasting? where you choose days to fast and, and it's all kind of kind of laid out for you. Just Google it on the internet, you'll find all kinds of information about that. But uh, it's more of a health thing than anything else. It's not really a spiritual uh, exercise that we're doing. And so we're going to talk about fasting from the Bible's point of view, from the spiritual point of view. Uh, you can find a lot of books and articles about fasting, but most of them are not spiritual in nature. According to the USDA, the average adult between 20 and 50 years old spends 28,000 hours eating. We spend a lot of time eating that we don't even think about. We commune, we do a lot of things around food. We commune around food. Now, it used to be that the family dinner hour was kind of a sacred time that nothing really interrupted and everybody would come together at dinner time. That was true in my family, no matter what happened, sports or that kind of thing. We always had dinner at the same time every, every evening. We all sat around the table together. We talked with each other. With seven boys, you can imagine that was a lot of talking that went on, uh, interesting talks that went on during those times. But uh, the family dinner hour has kind of gone the way of the dinosaur, and it doesn't happen in a lot of families anymore. But we haven't stopped eating. As a matter of fact, we have a problem with obesity in our country, that uh, we eat too much. And it's even prominent among the poorer class of people that uh, don't have much money on food stamps, that kind of thing, that obesity is even rising above, above in, their, in their levels also. And so it's really not a matter of scarcity of food or abundance of food. It's more a matter of how we practice eating and how we look at it. Uh, I think I've told you before that uh, one of the reasons uh, I was able to lose, I lost about 50 pounds over the last several years, uh, slowly laying it off and, and doing it. But one of the things that really made a huge difference, well, I would say the two main things that made a huge difference in my life in losing weight was number one, exercise. I really upped my exercise. I walked probably three or four times a week and uh, <clears throat> at least three miles or more and uh, do that on a regular basis. And then secondly was portion control. I was amazed at how much I was eating and not even thinking about it uh, because I would just pile food on my plate until it looked full. And then I'd eat it, all of it, and go back for more sometimes. And now there's rarely a meal at my house that we don't sit down and I have a scale and measuring cups and measuring spoons nearby to help me keep tabs because I discovered something about myself. I lie to me. I tell myself, that looks like about a cup, and then you measure it out, and it's about a cup and a half, and before you know it, you're eating more calories than you even knew it. Mindless eating is something that has come into our culture, into our prevalence today. You sit down with a bag of chips or pretzels, and before you know it, half the bag is gone or the whole bag is gone, and you've eaten more than you thought you've eaten. We need to pay closer attention to what we eat, how much we eat, and, and why we're eating. But the Bible talks about fasting in terms of its spiritual benefits. Uh, 
fasting, fasting is something that the Bible talks about frequently, but doesn't give a whole lot of instruction, specific instruction. The Lord had the, the Jesus gave his disciples the Lord's Prayer as kind of an outline of how to pray. He didn't give us the fasting guidelines to tell us how to fast, but he, he did tell us about how to fast in, in specific, in some ways. Uh, what is fasting? First of all, is the abstaining from food, activities, or anything that brings pleasure, dominance in our lives in order to concentrate on God and his presence. There's two thoughts there that we need to pay attention to. First of all, anything that brings pleasure or dominance in our lives. Food can dominate our lives without us even knowing it. As a matter of fact, it, it, it plays a role in our attitudes and in our feelings and all of that kind of stuff. And we need to be careful that food doesn't dominate us, but that we dominate our food, that we dominate what we eat and what we put into our mouths and why we put them into our mouths. And then the second part of it that's important is what we're concentrating, what we're shifting our concentration to. We're shifting our concentration from the earthly things that we're doing and we're shifting them to God and his presence in our life and paying attention to God in our lives. Uh, the data tells us, you know, and, and food isn't the only thing that can dominate our lives. And I want you to understand that fasting isn't necessarily about food. It's the primary thing that they're talking about in the Bible when they talk about fasting. But it, doesn't, it isn't the only thing that dominates our lives. I went to a seminar not too long ago at uh, Hope College. And the professor was talking about uh, uh, cell phone usage among college teenagers. It was kind of a kind of a study of his that he did. And he discovered that if you take away a cell phone from a teenager, that within, within 20 minutes, they begin displaying the same withdrawal symptoms as an opioid user. They begin experiencing the headaches and the, and the shakes and you know that kind of stuff that go along with it and the stress and the anxiety especially that happens when you take away their cell phone. I can see some of you kind of looking at each other right now and understanding that. But anything has the possibility of dominating our lives and making sure that we have our focus away from God and onto it. Fasting is simply that time that we spend concentrating on God and putting aside those things that we've discovered that dominate our time. It is the abstaining of food, activities, or anything else that brings pleasure, dominates our lives in order to concentrate on God's presence. Now, food is, is, is something that we don't have a problem obtaining today. But in the ancient world, food was not something that was plentiful all the time, especially for the normal people, the everyday people that lived there. The rich could always get their food, but the normal everyday person had to deal with famines and with food shortages and with high prices and all of that kind of stuff. And food became a very big quest for them. And when food was available, you got as much of it as you could and you ate as much of it as you could because you never knew where another meal was coming from. So in effect, fasting also exhibited a, a, a dependence on God, a trust in Him. Because when you didn't know where your food was coming from, you didn't skip meals. You didn't know if that was going to be your last meal for a while. And by fasting, you were saying to God, Lord, I trust that you're going to provide for me for that next meal. And that you're going to make a way for me to have a next meal, even though I can't see it. It's a dependency and a trust in God. What is fasting? It is designed to teach us to tame our desires, to learn self-control by denying the most basic impulses of our bodies. Eating is one of the most basic impulses that we have in our bodies. 
we're, 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 we live to eat because in, in the real world today and in too much of the world today, there is a, a whole group of Christians and other people who don't have enough to eat and to fast is a great sacrifice for them. And uh, we don't see that so much in our country, but we do have to tame our desires. The Bible talks a lot about taming the desires, about reaching for that second cup of coffee or that third cup of coffee or that fourth cup of coffee. And although we all joke about it, <clears throat> I want you to listen carefully to the language that you see on Facebook and in, in social media and in our conversations with each other. When we say things like, I cannot function without my morning cup of coffee, what are we really saying? Are we not saying that that cup of coffee has a dominant role in our life? Now we all laugh about it, and I'm not trying to condemn anybody because I enjoy my cups of coffee too. But we need to be careful that we don't let that dominate our lives and become something that becomes almost an idol to us in the way that we, that we treat it, in the way that we consume it. There's a spiritual dimension to self-control. The Bible says in Proverbs 25, 28, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. The walls were there to protect invaders, to protect the enemy from coming in. Self-control is something that is not very popular today. It was popular to say this in my time as a teenager in the 70s, if it feels good, do it. I think we discovered that that wasn't a very wise way to live, that that was not the best way in the world to conduct yourself. As a matter of fact, not every feeling that you have and not every desire that you have is good for you, is something that comes from God. And so we need to be discerning and be self-controlled in our lives. The Spirit of God... It says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. In other words, he's saying that when you live the life of Christ, part of the package, part of what should be flowing out of you as a natural result of living in the Spirit of God is self-control. And fasting has to do with self-control. The fasting brings those issues into sharp focus. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, If any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. That's another way of saying you must have self-control. You must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. Self-control is a cross that we have to bear. It's saying no to the flesh and saying yes to the things of God. Fasting helps bring those things into sharp focus of those things that we need to have self-control of. So let's talk about some reasons to fast. Why should we fast? Well, Jesus fasted. We know that he fasted because the Bible says that he fasted. He was a follower of the law. He kept the law perfectly. And the Bible says that he, that he fasted on those occasions. Jesus fasted to acknowledge his dependence and to gain spiritual strength through reliance on the Holy Spirit and God's word. He did this before he began his public ministry. In Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it has a very interesting construct of language here that tells us something about the power of fasting. Listen to this. It says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, 
This is right after his baptism, where, the, where, the, where he was baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist, and they saw the, the Trinity come down. The Father's voice spoke, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit came down and rested on him in the form of a dove, and Jesus was the one that was baptized. So Jesus is baptized, and the Bible says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Why should you be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus was. If Jesus needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, so do you. You ain't better than Jesus. You got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Bible says that he went out filled with the Holy Spirit and returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days and Jesus ate nothing during all that time. He fasted. It was a choice that he made not to eat during those 40 days. Now, if you've never fasted before, I do not encourage you to go on a 40-day fast. It might do you in. You're not used to that kind of thing. Jesus was obviously a fasting person. He had worked his way up to that, and he fasted 40 days and 40 nights of the devil for 40 days. And it says Jesus ate nothing during that time and became very hungry. I love, <laughs> I love how the Bible says that. You bet he did. 40 days with no food will make anybody hungry. But it says that he did two things. First of all, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it also says that Jesus practiced fasting. Why did he need to practice fasting if he was filled with the Holy Spirit? Because they're two separate things. Because one gives power to the other. One is a separate act from the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the end of the road for you. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't say, okay, that's it, I'm filled, it's over, I'm done, I'm good. I need nothing else except the baptism in the Holy Spirit. There are other Christian practices that have to be put into place. Prayer, fasting, all of that kind of stuff are part of that, that life in the Spirit. And Jesus was facing his, the beginning of his three-year ministry. Jesus only ministered for three years. I don't know if you realize that or not. But he, wait, he waited until he was about 30 years old. He practiced three years of ministry, and then he was crucified, dead, and buried, and went to heaven. And that's how he practiced his ministry. But he was about to launch the most important part of his life, his ministry that he was doing, and the enemy was trying to stop him at all costs. The enemy was here trying to stop him before he started trying to get him to end his ministry before it even began by giving in to sin, by tempting him beyond, his, beyond, uh, beyond what you and I could stand. And how did he deal with that? How did Jesus deal with that temptation? He dealt with it by fasting. If Jesus needed to fast and pray, don't you think that we should be able to fast and pray also? So number one, Jesus fasted and prayed, and so should we. The second reason to fast is for confession and repentance and favor in the sight of the Lord. Nehemiah was a man that was found in high government in the government of Artaxerxes, which was the Babylonian government that took over when the Israelites were captured and carried away back in the Old Testament. He found his way into the king's court and made his way up to the, up to the, uh, up to the, uh, the highest echelons of, ministry, of, of government. And there he found out that it happened in Jerusalem that he had left behind. It says that some men came to visit him from Jerusalem. And he said, I asked them, I asked the Jews who returned from there from captivity about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who had returned from the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. 
The wall of Jerusalem has been broken down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to God in heaven. The Bible says that, Mo, that Nehemiah was so taken by, by the situation in Jerusalem that he began to fast on them. He began to mourn for them, and he began to fast for them. The Bible says that, that uh, he fasted for a specific reason. He knew the reason that Jerusalem was destroyed. It was for giving away, it was for turning their backs on God. They had turned away from God. They had begun worshiping other gods. They had begun engaging in idol worship. God had finally had enough. He sent judgment on them, and he destroyed the temple and the city of, of uh, Jerusalem, and there he knew, he knew it was from sin. And so it says, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, I day, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to God. Here's his prayer. He said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Nehemiah saw sin in his life and in his people's life, and he needed to confess that sin. He did it with fasting. Fasting gave power to his repentance. Fasting gave power to his repentance. I wonder if you ask God to search your heart and show you those areas of your life that you aren't pleasing him in. It's possible that that's happening, isn't it? No one here is perfect. Sin is always crouching at the door. The Bible says sin crouches at the door and it seeks to devour us. And sometimes we fall prey to it. And in those times, we need to fast and pray and ask God to deliver us from our sins, to show us those areas of our lives that we have sin in. So fasting and prayer is a response to repentance in our lives. Another reason to fast is to, for God to intervene. David fasted for healing and miraculous intervention. You remember the story of David and Bathsheba. It resulted in the pregnancy of Bathsheba and the birth of a child. And that child was struck down by God and made sick. It says on the seventh, excuse me, it says in 2 Samuel 12, 15 through 23, Nathan stood before David and he told him the story about the lamb that was, that was stolen by a rich man from a poor man. And David said, surely that man must die. And Nathan pointed his finger at the king, one of the greatest acts of bravery ever done in the Bible, and said, you are that man. And David broke down and he repented and he cried out to God. But it says, David begged God to spare the child, for the Lord had sent a deadly disease to the child and Uriah's wife. And he went without food all night and lay on the ground on the bare ground. The elders of the household pleaded with him to get up and eat, but he refused. David knew that God could intervene, and he begged him to intervene. He fasted for God for the intervention in that child's life. But God did not answer that prayer the way David wanted that prayer answered. It says, then on the seventh day, the child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill, they said. What drastic thing will he do when we tell him the child is dead? When David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and worshipped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace, was served food, 
and ate. David gave up food and fasted for the intervention of God in his life. He needed God to intervene with him, and he prayed that God would intervene with him through fasting and prayer. It was as though he was trying to show the sincerity of his heart by giving up food and not eating during that whole time. And God did not intervene. He had the child's life taken, and yet David came and worshiped God afterwards. And he said the God, and he said that, that he said, uh, uh, they came to him and they said, what's up with this, David? While the child was sick, you were fasting and praying and mourning. But now that he's dead, you, uh, you have stopped your mourning and are eating again. It's kind of the reverse of how things should go. Uh, you mourn after death. But David rejoiced. How could he do that? How could David rejoice after the death of his child? And David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive. For I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he's dead? Can I bring him back again? Listen to this. I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. David had that hope that there was life beyond death, that there was something greater than this world that his child had gone to, and that one day he would hold that child again in his arms. But he fasted and prayed during that time for intervention from God. This is found all through Scripture of people fasting for God's intervention in different ways. As a matter of fact, one of those ways is when Mordecai and the Jews fasted for deliverance when they heard news of Haman's plot to, for, for the annihilation of the nation of Israel. Again, this is after the, the capture of the Israelites are taken away. And, uh, and there, there's a wicked man named Haman that has it out for Mordecai, a righteous Jewish man that would not bow down to him. The story's in the book of Esther. Esther is a short book. You should read it this afternoon. It's a fascinating story of God's deliverance. But it says in, in Esther 4, verse 3, that Haman had, had persuaded the king to make a decree for every Jew in the kingdom to be slaughtered. Every Jew in the kingdom was to have their life taken. They gave permission for everybody else in the kingdom to kill a Jew and take everything that they owned as payment for them for some sick reason that he had. And so it says, As soon as the news of the king's decree reached all the provinces, there was great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, they wept, and they wailed, and many people lay in burlap and in ashes. When word gets out about this impending genocide, the people responded through fasting and prayer and through the intervention of God through Queen Esther, who was a Jewish woman incognito in the government. She persuaded the king to, to, uh, to avert this, this disaster. And the fasting paid off there. It was, and God made sure that, that the Jews were taken care of. So that's another way that fasting can take itself. The early church fasted while worshiping and committing their ministry to the Lord. You see in two scriptures, in Acts 13.2 and in Acts 14.23, that Paul and Barnabas appointed elders and deacons in the church, and they fasted and they prayed before they did that. And they asked God for, for anointing, special anointing, when they were doing, doing the appointments in the church. Now, all of this is, is something in the Bible. The Bible never commands us to fast. There's no commandment to fast in the Bible. But Jesus expected it from his disciples. It says in Matthew 6, 16, he says, And when you fast, and when you fast, he expected them to fast. It was part of everyday life of a Jewish believer that they would continue to fast and pray for God's intervention, for God's healing, for God's presence in their life, for all of those kinds of things 
they, they, had, uh, they, they had fasting. I'm going to jump ahead in my notes here and look at reasons to fast now. Uh, number one, it's an action that's accompanies, that accompanies repentance. Uh, in 1863, President Lincoln declared April 30 to be a day of national repentance, fasting, and prayer. In the middle of the Civil War, the, the President of the United States called us to, be, uh, to fast. Listen to what he said. It is the duty of nations as well as of men to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to God that made us. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has grown, but we have forgotten God. That could very well be written today, couldn't it? We have grown, we have prospered, we have become great, we become wealthy, we become powerful, but we have forgotten God as a nation. We think that it's all our, all our own doing. And that phrase, make America great again, leaves something out. It leaves out God. It leaves out His grace and His goodness and His mercy in our lives. And so we need to pray as an accompaniment to, re to repentance in our lives. Secondly, we need, to re we need to fast as spiritual strength against an enemy attack. We already talked about Jesus being tempted by the devil where he went out into the desert and he was tempted by the devil. He was tempted three times by the devil to do specific things that would, that would break the law and would make Jesus a sinner. But Jesus did not do that. He did that by the power of fasting. And his fasting was what enabled him to become strong in the face of enemy's temptation. When you are tempted by the enemy, it's a good time to fast. It's a good time to stop eating and stop, stop, uh, stop uh, letting those things have a stronghold in your life and turn to God and fast for redemption from the, from the strength of an enemy attack. And uh, thirdly, to seek God's will and direction. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayers and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. When Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in the church, they fasted for wisdom and guidance in choosing these men. And we need to fast and pray. If you have something in your life that you need direction from God in, let me encourage you to make a fast a part of that prayer life that you have to make it part of what you're doing in order to get direction from God. It focuses your energy upon Him and makes, him, makes, him, makes His will clear to you. And then uh, fourthly, to awaken a spiritual hunger that God, for God that may be dulled because of a desire for other things. I don't know how many of you had a hand pump in your house. Probably none of us had a hand pump in our house. Maybe a few of you did, I don't know. But some of you are nodding your heads like, like, you're, like you understand that. But there was a, there's a time when a pump doesn't work anymore, and that pump has to be primed, doesn't it? When it stops working, it gets an air pocket in the pipe, and it can't pump water anymore. And what do you need to do to pump, prime the pump? You need to pour some water down it, don't you? You need to break that, break that thing by pouring water in it, break that bubble that's in there by pouring water down it, and make sure that water can be pumped up into the, into the, into the flow again. Sometimes fasting can be that jump start that you need to pull yourself out of your spiritual doldrums. If you're not feeling the presence of God, if you are in a spiritual kind of funk 
in your life. How many of you ever experienced a spiritual funk? Everybody raise your hand. All of us have experienced that, haven't we? Where God just doesn't seem to be there. You don't feel his presence like you have before. Maybe it's time to start fasting and asking God to reveal himself again and open up your heart to him with a fast that will open up your heart to him. Sometimes fasting can be that jump start that you need to pull yourself out of the spiritual doldrums. And then you can fast as an act of intercession for others. Do you want a new added development of power to your prayers for others? Add fasting to them. Go without food. It proves to God and yourself that you mean business. Uh, I can't tell you the number of times that people have come to me and say, I'm praying for my son, I'm praying for my daughter, and, uh, but they're not adding fasting to it. I would like to encourage you to maybe add fasting to your prayer life and to your, to your, uh, to your regular routine of life. Uh, we're going to talk about how to fast in just a moment. We're going to talk about three suggestions for fasting. And one of them is going to be that you make fasting a regular part of your life, that you insert it into your life on a regular basis. But let's talk about, as we close this morning, let's talk about three suggestions for fasting. Number one, fast for a purpose. Have a purpose for your fasting. Fast for something that you need God to do. Just kind of superpower your prayers by fasting with him and asking him to take care of those needs. Secondly, try a regular fast. Maybe set aside a day a month or an hour a day or a meal a week or something like that, however you want to do it. Uh, maybe, maybe fast just on Fridays or the third Friday of each month or the second Sunday of each month or something like that. Set it aside as a regular time of fasting to focus your attention on God and God alone. So try a regular fast. Fast for a purpose, but try a regular fast also that sets aside a specific time for fasting. Maybe you're going to skip breakfast for the next week. And for the week of prayer, I encourage you to set aside a time of praying and fasting for that time. Maybe some of you can't fast a full day. Maybe you can fast from sunup to sundown. As long as the sun is shining, I'm not going to fast. Or maybe I'm going to fast breakfast. Or maybe I'm going to fast lunch. Or I'm going to fast dinner. Or something like that. Uh, drink liquids, drink juices, that kind of thing to help keep your sugars up and that kind of stuff. But just make one day, one time, one segment of time uh, in your life that is for fasting and do it regularly and see what God does with that. And finally, fast from something that is more than food. You know, there are a lot of things that dominate our lives and dominate our time right now. Uh, maybe some of us need to fast from our social media. We just need to turn it off for a while and get away from it and, and you know, just, just kind of use that. If I were to tell you that you should fast from your cell phone, what's the first thing that you would think? The first thing that I would think is, I don't know if I can do that. It's become such a part of my life that I don't know if I could fast from my phone. I mean, everything that I have in life is on that phone. My calendar's on that phone, right? You know, all that other kind of stuff is on my phone. That's the first thing that pops into your mind. When that kind of thing pops into your mind, I don't know if I can do that, that should be a red flag that says that thing is trying to gain control of my life, and I need to fight against it. I need to make sure that it doesn't take control of my life. And that's a good, a good, a good flag is whenever you have that feeling that I don't know if I can do that. Take that as a red flag from the Holy Spirit that says here's an area that you need to pay attention to and here's an area that maybe you need to fast from. Try turning it off. Just see what happens. You know what? We got along just fine without it not too many years ago. We managed to survive without cell phones for decades, for eons 
of, of time before all of that, and we can do it again. So I want to encourage you to fast this morning. I want to encourage you to set aside a time when you're going to fast this coming week and just fast and see what God does. Maybe there's a special need that you have that you just seem to be bumping up against the wall on that you're praying for, but God doesn't seem to be moving at all. Try fasting with that and see what God does. Fasting is good for you. Fasting is spiritual in nature, and fasting can change your life. Let's pray.